If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to uh, Judges 6. We're going to spend a little time there for a moment, and then we're going to go to Luke 11. Um, if you can only figure out where one of those places are, go to Luke 11, because <laughs> uh, that's where we'll spend most of our time. Uh, as you know, we've been on a kind of a journey in this current series. The series is called On Purpose, The Lies We Believe About Our Potential. And so we're exposing the lies that we believe about our potential and what God wants to give us as his divine purpose for our lives. And so uh, let's pray and then let's dig in together. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much for your word that opens up all that you are to us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just reveal yourself, that the entrance of your word would give light to our lives, and then we would receive grace to obey and to walk it out. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this series, we've been looking at one particular uh, person in the scriptures. It's Gideon. And Gideon uh, really is an incredible story because he starts out as this really fearful person and then ends up delivering God's people in an, at a display of incredible bravery with 300 uh, warriors and overcoming uh, incredible odds. But I, I want to just highlight kind of where we've been camping out a little bit so we can see the context for how Jesus uh, wants to communicate this to us and how God used this man even in his own fear and his own struggle. So Judges 6, 10 through 12 says, I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. And then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain. Everybody say, hide the grain. He was hiding from the Midianites. He was hiding the grain as he was threshing it and saving it because they were being oppressed by the Midianites. So he's hiding from the Midianites, and in verse 12, something happens. The angel of the Lord appeared to him. God appears to him in this moment and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Which is such an incredible moment for Gideon because he was not a hero. He was hiding. He was fearful. He was worried. He, he, was, he did not know that God had called him to something so fantastic he couldn't have conceived of it. And so I think when we look at Gideon, what we're looking at is a type of ourselves. This is, uh, each of us kind of have a, a desire to be the hero. We talked about that last week. But what, what's really important for us to grasp is that there's something hidden inside you and hidden inside me. And God has a purpose and a, and a plan to unleash your inner hero. The purpose that he has for you is meaningful. It is an incredible thing that God has for you, but you, you may be just stuck, stuck in life, stuck in fear, stuck in your own apprehension, stuck in confusion, but there is something. God wants to appear to you, and he wants to say, mighty hero, you are a mighty hero, and the Lord is with you. You are not alone. And that's how we find Gideon here, and it's how I think we should see ourselves, because at this particular moment, God was about to unveil his purpose to Gideon. And in the same way, I want him to unveil his purpose to you and to me. 
Here's what I want you to believe as a result of this series. What, I'm try- what we're trying to get at together is just like God put purpose in Gideon, God has a purpose for you. And just like God showed Gideon his purpose, God wants to show you your purpose as well. And this is important. And I, I've listened to a lot of people over the years who struggle, who have struggled to identify their purpose. And people tend to embrace a lie. And the lie we're going to look at today, the lie is God is making it hard to discover my purpose. God is making it hard to discover my, it kind of sounds whiny, doesn't it? God is making it so hard. It's hard to discover my purpose. Why is God making it so hard? I want to challenge this lie. God doesn't play games. He's not playing games with your life. God's not trying to make you earn anything by making you jump through hoops. That is not his nature. That is not his character. There's plenty of brokenness within this world. There's plenty of brokenness within our own lives. There's plenty of issues that that come up in front of us that give God the opportunity to help build your character or help grow you. He doesn't need to create those. He's not the author of all kinds of chaos and brokenness. He's the healer. He's the one who brings you to a place of strength. He's the one who gets you to recognize your own weakness so he can come come in with his power. You notice in this passage that we just read about Gideon that the people had not done what the Lord told them to do. And yet here he is ready to save them, ready to rescue him. It's the same with you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what's gone on in your life, his purpose remains. There's something deep inside you, and he wants to, he wants to tap on that purpose, and he wants to bring it out. He wants you to know that he's for you and never against you. And so we talked last week about how God does hide his will from time to time. He hides his will from people. He hides it from time to time from people who would want to ruin his will and his purpose. He hides it from the the spiritual darkness that exists all around us and from the enemy of your soul and my soul. He hides things until just the right time, and then he reveals it. And this is hard for us to get, so we're going to read 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 10. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's talking to the believers at the church in Corinth, and, and they're growing together, and he's writing this letter. He says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. I want you to notice here what Paul is doing. He's, he's giving a distinction between the rulers of the wisdom of the age and the way God works. They work differently. And verse 7 says, no, we speak of God's secret wisdom. Secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. I want you to look at verse 8. I think it's in your message notes. And I want you to underline verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, God kept the wisdom of the Spirit, the wisdom of heaven. He kept it hidden until a time for it to be revealed. 
And that hiddenness actually helped accomplish the purpose for which he sent Jesus, the Messiah, to the earth to reveal himself. And so, so the, God kept it hidden until just the proper time. And it's, Paul says here, if the rulers of this age would have understood it, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. But instead, they played right into God's purpose. They actually, they thought they were, they were actually doing God a service by crucifying Jesus. And the enemy of our soul, Satan himself, he thought he was winning when in fact he was sealing his own doom. Do you see it? This is how God often works. And it's, it's challenging for us to understand this because of where we, how we see our own lives and how in our finite thinking we don't quite understand why things are hidden from us. But verse 9 says, however, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. This is an incredible verse. I mean, think about this. You can't come up with it. I can't come up with it. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, but God has revealed it to us on iPads. No. God has revealed it to us by Google. God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Through the work of the spirit inside of us. And this is really significant for us to grasp. Because sometimes he does hide his purpose and gives it to us a little at a time. Little by little. To baffle the enemy and to th that wants to thwart God's plans, but also to ensure that you and I will pursue him, that you and I will allow him to have his place in our lives, to be close to him, to live, to lean into him. He's asking us to lean in so that he can reveal the secret things, the hidden things. This is what he wants to do. What all this means is that you're going to have to search it out. That's your first fill in the blank. You're, you're going to have to search it out. You and I are going to have to search it out, search, maybe more accurately, search him out. Jesus talks about this in Luke 11. Luke 11, verse 9, we'll start there. He says, and so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks the door will be open. Jesus himself said it. We're going to have to search. Unfortunately, mo most of us don't ask, seek, or knock very often or for very long. And it's usually only when we're in some sort of crisis, right? We've, we've, hit, we've hit a snag in our lives, and that's, that's the moment that we turn to him. And then we start to ask, God, what are you up to? What's happening who are you? Who are we? Who am I? God, I need you to answer. What do you want me to do? And so we ask and we seek. We'll stick to it, keeping asking the questions until the confusion or stress stops, which might take hours or days or months or even longer if, it's, if the problem is severe enough. But usually when the crisis is over, we kind of slip back into our normal routine of life. 
We kind of just kind of, I, I got my way. I, I, I know how this works. And even those of you who have maybe followed Jesus for a long time, we could just so easily just fall back into a routine. And Jesus is highlighting something here that's so powerful. And I want us to tap into it today because it is significant in finding your purpose. Oswald Chambers said it this way. He says, there's nothing more difficult than to ask. We, will long, we long and desire and crave and suffer, but not until we are at the extreme limit will we ask. A sense of unreality makes us ask. Matthew 7, 8 says, for everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks the door will be opened. This does not mean you will not get it if you don't, do not ask. But until you get to the point of asking, you won't receive from God. To receive means you have come into the relationship of a child of God, and now you perceive with intelligent and moral appreciation and spiritual understanding that these things come from God. I want you to underline that last phrase right there, that these things come from somewhere. They come from God. I was thinking about this this week, and I was thinking about how, you know, my, my kids, I have five kids, and those five kids, you know, they have different stages of growth and development, and, you know, when you, when you first, first get a, a child into your arms, you know, brand new, newborn baby, it is amazing how they don't do anything for you, zero, nothing. They cannot produce anything for you. All they do is cry and eat and poop. That's it. There's nothing else. That's the only thing they do, and yet something happens. When you hold that little baby in your arms, you're like, oh, I instantly loved every one of them. I instantly loved them. I, I, I just wanted to give everything I had for them. It is an incredible thing that happens as a parent, and I think it's reflective of how God sees you and me. That no matter what you can or cannot produce for him, that's not your inherent value you have you have some value beyond that because you are a cre his creation and you are his son or daughter and there's a there's a love that he has for you and so I was thinking about my kids and I was thinking about how they grew up and have these different stages and at first as they become toddlers and then they uh, I mean one of my favorite ages is two to five except for that little period of time where they're like cruising the furniture but not walking quite you know and then that's a little earlier than that and you think they're going to fall at every moment and gash their head wide open, blood's going to pour out. Like, you just think about this as a parent. I don't know, maybe I'm just neurotic. But I couldn't figure out how to, like, like until the fifth one, and the fifth one's like, oh, he'll be fine, it's no big deal. And then he's the one that never hits his head. It's so weird. Anyway, so there's a time when they start asking all kinds of questions. You know, you're as they're asking stuff about school, and they're talking to you about all kinds of things, and they have cu curiosities about about um, the stars, and curiosities about uh, life, and curiosities about toys, and hey, Dad, um, do you want to come out and play frisbee with me? And hey, hey, do you want to do you want to go do this and go do that? And what what does this look like? And and how do how does this work? And and then and then where do babies come from? And it's like these questions, and just and. During, during some season in there, especially if you have multiples, multiple kids, there's a moment as a parent where you're like, please stop. 
Just stop. It's too many questions. It's too much. It's too much talking. Just shh. You're doing this. I want you to do this. And there's like this overwhelming sort of thing for parents sometimes. You're like, I don't know how to answer all these questions exactly. But then something weird happens as they begin to grow up into adolescence and, and something takes hold as a teenager where they stop asking you all the questions and they become more silent. And then you want them to ask questions. <laughs> more to the point, you want to ask them questions. But they, start, they stop asking you questions and guess what? They start asking their friends questions. And then there's a little thing that happens as they start to discover the world around them and they start to buy into this idea that they shouldn't already know the answers. And they get embarrassed in front of their friends because they, do, they don't know certain things. And then this thing goes on in their heads. I, I should know the answers to these things. I don't know. So they start to act like they know it all because that's the mechanism of independence, which is necessary for a teenager to grow up. There is no skipping that that process and you there's this they're discovering their independence but they're but they're 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 wrestling with what's going on internally and hopefully there's a moment you know when their 20s when they come out of kind of thinking that they know it all and they start asking you as a parent what's going on again because they're like oh my dad's not as dumb as I thought he was like I, like, I think this is part of the process of growing up. We all go through this, and it's a, it's a process of, of maturing. And I was thinking about this passage of Scripture from the point of view of a parent and wh- how Jesus is saying, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Wow, Jesus, really? That just seems like kind of cruel. But not if you see it as a parent who interacts with his children who wants them to ask him, who wants to train out of of his love and out of my my heart for my kids. I want them to learn. I want them to grow. I want them to have all these good experiences. And then when they start to go silent on me, I kind of get worried. I pray a lot more. And then I'm not sure what's going on. And I'm not sure how to coach them. And I want to get into their lives, but they kind of don't want me to get in. And then there's a a process by which I, I ask God to help them open up to expose the lie that, oh, I know Everything and the things I don't know, I have to act like I know because that thing can last far into adulthood where you think to yourself, everybody else has got it figured out. What's wrong with me? It's a lie that so many of us keep in our souls for a long time, so much so that we get to a a day on a Sunday, Easter, and we are being asked to fill out a form to... um, a survey about what we need to hear about and we mark purpose because we still feel like everybody else has got it figured out and we don't. What I want to offer to you is if you could see Jesus, if you could see the work of God in your life more as a a parent who's saying to you, I want you to keep asking. I have wisdom that you don't know anything about. I have experiences that you haven't discovered yet. They're still ahead of you. And if you'll just include me, I'll help you avoid the traps. I'll help you figure out what the right thing to do next is. The Father, the Heavenly Father, is perfect at doing that. In fact, right after this um, little passage that we just read, he goes into this discussion about uh, how many of you earthly fathers, if you are evil... Know how you want to give good gifts to your kids. How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? What Jesus is saying here is keep asking, 
because you're going to grow and change. Keep seeking because you're going to go through different seasons of life. Keep knocking because your purpose at 20 is going to look different than your purpose at 40. It's going to look different. Even if, it, even if you feel the, the weight of a, a big purpose that God has given you, it will be expressed differently at 45 than it is at 25. There's a process by which we go through life discovering, discovering more, God revealing more things to you. If we'll just keep asking, we'll keep seeking and keep knocking. Look at what it says in um, just after this in Luke, or just before this story, Jesus is teaching in Luke 11. He says, then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing to, for him to eat. And suppose he calls out at, out from his bedroom. Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if we keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. It is this passage that yields itself to the, the father identifying how good he is. Because what he's doing here, this story is not how God is. He's He's equating earthly parents as this guy who will, who will get up and inconvenience himself and make sure you have what you need just because of your persistence. And what he's doing is contrasting God, your God, my God, the heavenly father, the one who sent Jesus here as the son, the one who fills you and I with his Holy Spirit. He is the one who has such good things in store for you that if we'll keep seeking and knocking, that he will reveal himself. We're not supposed to occasionally ask, not supposed to occasionally seek. Our whole lives are seeking, asking. We are explorers. We're explorers. We're not tourists. We're not going through like, oh, this is it. No, we're exploring life, and God's trying to reveal himself. We are not, we, we are archaeologists. We are not museum visitors. We're archaeologists, we're finding stuff, we're looking for stuff, and we just go through life, and every once in a while we exclaim, oh, I see it, I got it, I got it, it's right here. That's the life God has for you, and it's worth the search. More appropriately, he's worth the search, because when you figure out what your purpose is and you get to it, your life takes on an ultimate meaning. What you were created for, the people you serve with that purpose begin to be changed and transformed, and that's so amazing to you. The world in which you live becomes a better place, which is God's plan for you, to join him in making this world a better place for the people who are broken and in need, and God takes pleasure in your obedience, and, your, and he enjoys you, and, and that sounds so great, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, Pastor Oswald, tell me how I get to that. All right, I, I have four points. And I just want you to write them down. But the first is really the most significant. Number one, surrender your will to God. <laughs> Boo. Some of you are like, what, that again? You don't just surrender your will once. You surrender it over and over again. You surrender your will to God over and over as you go deeper and deeper into your life. Some, have you ever had this sense of, like, I thought I was done with that. But everything in life, in terms of what God wants for you, is, is a cyclical process of surrendering your will. I'll give you an example. When I was in college, I was selfish. 
I realized I was selfish. I had a dorm mate, and I realized I was really selfish with this roommate. And so I went on a missions trip, and I, you know, tried to better myself, tried to treat my dorm mate better, and, 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 and it was great. And I kind of became a better man in college. But then something weird happened. I got married, and I was selfish again. And I, I remember being married and thinking, I am such a selfish husband. Oh, my gosh, I just want to get everything I want, and I want her to just yield to my desires and and I was like oh I gotta stop this so I read some books and I went to a conference and then I, I be started to become a better husband and I started loving and serving her and, and putting her before myself and, and I felt like I was a pretty good husband and then I had children and then I realized something like how did I get selfish again no I'm not getting I'm not just like, because we get to certain points in our lives and we feel like, oh, we've gotten stuck. We're back here again. I haven't made any progress at all. Nothing could be further from the truth. Every one of you, some of you are just making baby steps right now. Don't despise that. Keep going with baby steps. But you'll end up coming back around in your life and there will be a process where you'll learn you have to surrender again, but just at a deeper level, at a greater level of maturity at a level that helps you understand what God really wants for you and, and has for you and desires for you. And the cornerstone of finding God's purpose was in, in you is when you finally get to the place where you're surrendered because you believe he's got a better plan than I do. And the, that's the problem is we tend to just think, no, he, I know he wants me to do stuff, but really I want my plan and my purpose. Like, I really know what I need. No, you, that's a lie. You have to believe the truth that God knows what you need more than you do. That's the challenge. Romans 8, 28 through 31 says, and we know that in all things God works for the good. Everybody say good. Of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for you. The greatest lie of the enemy is that you, you, you won't believe that God is for you, with you. God is with you. He is for you. But I think sometimes we decide. We think what our purpose should be, so we selfishly devise a plan, and then we just ask God to bless our plans. This happens all through the scriptures. It happened to Joshua. It happened to Moses. It happened to Abraham. It happened to David. There is a process by which the, we ask God to bless what we've conjured up. And this first point is you have to realize that, it's, that you have to surrender your will to God. And it's a thing that happens over and over again. The second idea. Well, let me read this, this verse right here because I think it's, powerful proverbs 3 5 and 6 it says trust in the lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths this is pretty important don't lean on your own understanding he didn't say you can't understand the last thing i want to tell you to do is check your brain at the door when you come to church 
I want you to think. I want you to study. I want you to let God work in your mind. You know what God does when he comes into the life of a person? He starts to regenerate who they are as a person. He restores their mind. He renews their mind with the scriptures. He begins to regenerate who you are in your soul, in your emotions, in your history. He takes where you've been, and he begins to mold it and shape it. That's what Romans 8.28 is about. He begins to shape it no matter how damaging it's been, no matter how much you've suffered. Jesus comes into your life and begins to shape it into something beneficial for you that's so powerful, so good for you. I think if we could just believe this, it would fuel our surrender. Number two, well, the second step, I think finding your purpose is trial and error. <laughs> I know, one spiritual and one not so spiritual step. I know that sounds encouraging, like discouraging to you. If you're trying to figure out what God created you to do, here's the point, don't just sit there. Don't just wait for it all to fall into your lap. Start to jump in, roll up your sleeves, try some things. Begin to start serving in cooperation with, and this is the key, someone else's purpose. I worked with a guy at a church a long time ago, and he said, I remember him saying this, and he would say it pretty consistently. He's like, I don't, I, when, I, when I became a young man, I really didn't know what my purpose was, but this pastor's purpose was so big, I thought I would just serve his purpose until I could discover my own. And there's something that happens when you do that, when you're willing to serve someone else's purpose. I've met people who have no clear idea about their unique purpose, but I've noticed that to figure out your unique purpose, you don't have to have your life all together. You don't have to have everything figured out. You don't have to know the details of your future or even the nature of your purpose. But you have to take some risks for God's purpose. And let me tell you this. Any risk you take to try to further God's purpose in your life, it will never be a fatal risk. It will never be something that, that ruins everything in your life. God sees it. He knows what's coming. He knows what's happening. And so when you get involved in serving people, regardless of what it is, invariably your eyes will be open to God and to the needs around you. So the third step is simply become aware of other people's needs. When you're trying to discover your purpose, become aware of other people's needs. A couple weeks ago I said, I don't know the specifics of your purpose, but I know two things. I know you do have a purpose, and I know that your purpose is about people. Somewhere it's about people. That's why this is so important, to stay alert to the needs of those around you, to be aware of how those needs might spark the imagination of your own heart. Because chances are you're going to be introduced to purpose in the process of serving. I learned this from one of One Chapel's overseers, Chris Hodges. He has this story. Chris tells a story of 17 years ago. He was at a point in his life when he wasn't sure, like, what it was that he was supposed to do. And there was a friend of his whose son had, a, had contracted a debilitating disease and was being treated at St. Jude's Hospital. And so Chris started going to St. Jude's and trying to be with his friend. And through this time at St. Jude's, seeing all the overwhelming needs that were there in the hospital, it was incredible to him. And as he started spending time with these kids and his heart started aching for all the pain and the suffering and the needs he saw at St. Jude's. And so he just started volunteering at St. Jude's. The more he volunteered, the more his heart ached for those kids and their families. And so initially, Chris thought his purpose, God's answer was um, what he was supposed to do with his life. Here it is. 
He thought this was going to be his purpose, but as he was praying about direction, God put in his heart to plant a church with the emphasis of reaching the hurting. And 17 years later, Church of the Highlands is a huge church based in Birmingham, Alabama, one of the fastest growing churches in America. They have over 40,000 people that meet every week on a Sunday. There's, here's the point. He was in process. He was willing to serve, and God spoke to him in the middle of that. I think that's how it works for us. And finally, the fourth step for discovering your purpose is understanding that your purpose could be related to the pain and suffering you've experienced. The pain and suffering you've experienced. Bill Hybels wrote a book. He's a great pastor and author, and he he wrote a book called Holy Discontent. And he kind of goes through the scriptures and shows how each character in the Bible experiences God's purpose through what really made them frustrated. And his chief example is Moses. Moses was a man who saw his people suffering in slavery. He was in Pharaoh's house. Moses was a, a, an adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. And so, so he understood that these were not his people, these Egyptians, but his people were suffering under slavery. And he got, he saw it. And, he, and this discontent with the way they were, his people were being treated, he took action one day and killed an Egyptian who was mistreating one of the Hebrews. Moses ended up going 40 years into the desert until he met a burning bush. This thing had been percolating inside him for a long time. And God chose him to be the deliverer. He knew it was in there. He just didn't know how to go about it. And that's similar to you and me. There's something that makes you mad. Something that, that has hurt you. Something very often, we see it over and over again, things that have happened in our lives that have caused pain and suffering. In the midst of that pain or suffering, you're at the bottom of the valley. There is, it seems like you're going to be in the desert for the rest of your life. And yet, it is the genesis, it is the source, it is the seed of God's purpose for you. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads as we come to the Lord's table. I want you to think about what you've been through in your life and what has become really meaningful to you. And, and it could be that God's trying to communicate his purpose to you, even through your own suffering, even through your own struggle. And I, I want us to just be willing to kind of, if we're going to go back to one step in this message, it's the first step, and that is surrendering to him no matter where you are, no matter where you have come from, no matter what season you find yourself in, that this is the start to come to this table that was set by Jesus himself, the bread representing the body of Christ, broken for you and me, so that we could be healed and whole. The cup representing the blood of Jesus that forgives us for our own sinfulness, trying to live life apart from Him, trying to, trying to develop our own plans and our own purpose. God's forgiveness that erases that separation and pulls you to Himself, that's what this is about. That's what this table is. And so as you come to this table this morning, I want you to think about surrendering your life. 
surrendering your heart, surrendering your will to him and where he wants you to surrender. What is it you want, he wants you to give him today? Would you offer it to him? Would you believe that he has something better for you? Would you relinquish control in your life so that he could be in charge? Father, we thank you for your words to us. And now would you speak deeply into our soul as we come to this table? Don't let this be a ritual or something we do by rote. But as we come to this table, would you meet us here? with your provision, with your plan, with your purpose. Come with your grace, your forgiveness, your healing, your deliverance. It's, it's all available to us here. You're a good father and you want to give us good gifts. So we come to you.